The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. We are coming to the end of Elihu's attack upon Job. We've seen how that Elihu has tried to remind Job that God is a good God, and he is a merciful God, and he is a just God. Today, he begins to tell him that God is a great God. Elihu had this right, but once again, he harshly applies it to Job, and he misapplies it in ways that do not help Job at all. But there is one coming on the scene that's going to help all of them to understand the true nature of God, and that is God himself. Join us today as we begin to wind down the attack upon Job by Elihu, and we begin to lead into the appearance of God on the scene. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Oh my
Job is such a, a foundational book to the rest of the scripture. Um, most people don't sit around and argue about high theological concepts. A lot of folks don't even really understand or tend to sit around and talk about the doctrines of grace. And in fact, we even, who believe the doctrines of grace, don't always sit around talking about them. Instead, we sit around talking about how tragic it is that so-and-so died or that this child has a sickness or let me tell you what happened at work and let me tell you what happened at, you know, to my neighbor. And we, we deal with issues of life that just tend to come upon us and we deal with what's in front of us. Now, I'm not saying that's the right way to approach things. We ought to always, and I hope you do, keep the idea in the back of your mind and hopefully in the forefront of your mind that this is all temporary and that God has something better purpose for us as his children. In fact, that's the only way we'll get through the troubles of life in the way that God wants us to and in a way that would be, uh, that would be encouraging and helpful to us is by remembering that this is just temporary. 
Job deals with the fundamental questions of life, the role of God, the role of suffering, the role of Satan, the role of God in suffering, the role of Satan in suffering, and all these things come together in this book, and you know, it makes sense because this book, we're told, was the first book ever written of the scripture. Now, you know, it doesn't deal with the oldest things. Genesis does that, but Genesis was written by Moses many years later. And this book, which was inspired by God, gives us the insight into man's relationship with God and the way we should view God. And all through the first 37 chapters, except for the first two chapters where we get some insight into what's really going on, we find that Job's three friends, Job himself, and even Elihu here doesn't get it all just right. Elihu has some good things to say, and we're going to see tonight. He's got some really good points that he'll make. In fact, Elihu, we've already seen back in chapter 33, he began to introduce the concept that that suffering sometimes is permitted by God uh, in a way to refine us in the refining fire, okay? God doesn't, sometimes, he, sometimes the suffering that we experience is the chastening of God. Most often, though, the suffering that we experience is just the result of the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world. God gets blamed for it all, <laughs> but God gets blamed for a lot of things he didn't do. And in this case, God's not doing what's happening to Job. What's happening to Job is being done to him by Satan. Now, yes, God is suffering it to be so. And we are seeing that there's some reasons for that as well. But you remember we said patience, pride, and pity are the three primary themes of Job. And we've seen the patience of Job in many ways, but we've also seen the pride of Job. And now in... in we're about to come to the point where we're going to see the pity of God. In fact, we've already seen it if we understand God's initial statements about Job. Job was God's prized possession. God was proud of Job. God had pity on Job, and we're going to see that when he gets on the scene here. But leading up to this point where we are, we've seen Job's three friends get it all wrong. Job, you're the problem. The reason you're suffering is sin in your life. Job was a sinner, yes, but the reason he was suffering was not because of some particular sin that he had, that he had committed, that he hadn't confessed, you know. They were preaching the prosperity gospel, name it and claim it. If you just have enough faith, Job, if you just, if you just get your heart right with God, they were preaching Arminian doctrine, just get your heart right with God and things will be just right. Elihu comes on the scene, as I said, he begins to introduce the concept to them that, you know, in case, some cases, suffering is permitted by God to refine our lives. And we've talked about that a little bit, and now the two chapters that we're going to, we're going to be in chapters 36 and 37 of Job. And one thing we're going to see in these two chapters and I want us to really think about this tonight, is that Elihu, he does get some things right here. And one of the things he says is that it's impossible to worship God and complain about your circumstances at the same time. Now, I'm not talking about taking your complaints to God and praying to God in the midst of your troubles. 
I'm talking about complaining about God and worshiping God do not go together. So we need to stop complaining and start worshiping. And that's primarily his point here. This is what he's telling Job. He's, remember, Elihu gets it more right than the others. He still misses the mark. But he's already at this point told Job that God is merciful, God is just, and God is good. And beginning in chapter 36, as he's admonishing Job to quit complaining and start worshiping God, he reminds Job that God is great. Listen to what he says here in verse 5. Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. Look down at verse 22. Behold, God exalteth by his power. Who teacheth like him? Look at verse 26. Behold, God is great. And we know him not, neither can the number of his years be searched out. If there's a theme to this portion of his preaching to Job, it's that God is great. As I said, he's shown us, he's told us that God's merciful, God is just, God is good. But not only is he merciful, just, and good, he is great. He is great above all the heavens. He says, we know him not. We can't figure him out. Neither can the number of his years be searched out. I don't care the oldest man that ever lived could not search out the number of the years of God. God is eternal. We are temporal. And beginning in verse 1 here, let's just begin reading to see as we lead into this preaching here. Elihu also proceeded and said, Suffer me a little, and I will show thee that I have yet to speak on God's behalf. I will fetch my knowledge from afar and will ascribe righteousness to my maker, for truly my word shall not be false. Now listen to this. He that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. Now I don't think he's talking about God here. I think he's talking about himself here. You know, I told you he gets it more right than the others, but he doesn't get it all right. <laughs> Elihu is lifted up in pride. He says, if you'll just listen to me, I'm speaking on God's behalf. You know, I'm up here preaching, and I hope I'm preaching the Word of God, but God forbid I ever should presume to be His representative here on earth in the sense of He's speaking through me and I'm speaking on His behalf. There's been a lot of men down through the ages of time that have presumed to do that, and their end has always, almost always been tragic. Almost always. You see, Elihu is just a little too full of himself. And he says, he that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. <laughs> if I ever get up here and say that, you might as well go ahead and be striking up the committee to find a new pastor because something's happened to me and you don't need me. I'm not perfect in knowledge, but Elihu thought he was. Now again, he gets some things, he gets some things right and we're gonna look at that here. Remember verse five, behold, God is mighty. God is mighty. And despiseth not any, he is mighty in strength and wisdom. Yes, he's exactly right. This is a correct assessment of God. And what he's going to do here, he's going to go on and say, Job, God doesn't hate you, but he deals with you in wisdom, as he does with all the others of his children. He's going to go on to say that God is mighty in every way. He doesn't sustain the wicked, but he gives, he gives the wicked what they deserve, and he gives the poor and the afflicted what they deserve. He's going to go on and be telling us that in a, in a moment. Notice his point here beginning in verse 6. He preserveth not the life of the wicked, but giveth right to the poor. He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous, 
but with kings are they on the throne. Yea, he doth establish them forever, and they are exalted. Now here's the point Elihu's making, and again, this is a correct point. God is on the side of the righteous. I don't care what you're experiencing in life. As one of his children, God is on your side. It doesn't matter what the tragic circumstances are. It doesn't matter that the tragedies keep compounding upon one another. It doesn't matter that the suffering is intense, that the suffering is, is, is heavy upon your shoulders. God is on your side. He's on the side of the righteous. Remember, this has been part of Job's complaint. Job claims that he's righteous and he believes his suffering is undeserved. And, and, and his, the implication is he's implying that God is not for the righteous. God is not. You remember he said that earlier. He said, God's just not a just God. And, and, and of course, Elihu set him straight on that. God is just. Clearly, this way of thinking is not correct. You're wrong if you think God is not on the side of the righteous. God is on the side of the righteous. He says here in this verses 6 and 7 now, he says, He preserveth not the life of the wicked, but giveth right to the poor, withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous. Elihu, I don't believe here, is saying that this name it and claim it prosperity gospel is correct. This sounds like that maybe. And it, sound, it sounds a lot like that same prosperity theology that the f three friends of Job were spouting. Sounds like that he's saying the wicked won't live long, the righteous will be exalted. But I believe what he's really saying here is that God is not concerned with the wicked, but with the righteous. Notice he says, He preserveth not the life of the wicked, but giveth right to the poor. He withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous. The preservation, he, he's dealing with a problem here, a perception problem. The preservation of the wicked and the affliction of the righteous may look like God is not on the side of the righteous, but that is not true. And that's what he's saying here. He's refuting that argument. He's saying even in the midst of all of that, God has his eyes upon the righteous. His eyes are always upon you, child of God, wherever you are. Now listen, I'm, I'm talking to you understanding that you and I are sinners and we will never get it all right, we'll never be completely sin-free. But I'm also speaking to ones that I believe are trying to do right. You know, I don't believe you're out there trying to live just a wicked life. And that's the point. He's talking to people who are trying to do right. We're not going to get it all right. I messed up today. You messed up today multiple times, and you'll continue to do that. But the idea is that you're striving to do right. Job was trying to do right in his life. And sometimes even those who try to do right seem to be afflicted above that which they deserve. Now, understand we all deserve much less punishment than we get, much, much less troubles than we have. But from the standpoint of in this temporal life, it seems like sometimes the righteous suffer more. But what he's saying here is not that the wicked won't live a long time. And he's not saying that uh, there won't be afflictions of the righteous. He's just saying that the long life of the wicked is not an indication of God's favor. Just because the wicked may live long or prosper, or the righteous may experience affliction, does not mean that God is favoring the wicked. You know, Jesus even dealt with that. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 13. If you question that, 
Let's look at what Jesus said about it. You know that Matthew 13 is the great chapter filled with kingdom parables. And there's a parable here, the second parable, beginning in verse um, 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. Now look what the servants did. And I, I want to tell you, that's a, that's a particular temptation for, for God's children sometimes to, do what, to want to do what these servants are about to offer to do. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? This is not on point with the sermon tonight, but I can't help but stop here and say this. Aren't we always tempted to try to root out the tares and throw them away from the wheat? In that some preachers try to do that. Some church members try to do that. We try to root out the tares and, and get them out of here. We're going to go ahead and get rid of them. Notice what Jesus said about that. He said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. You know why we can't do that? In other words, we want to get out here and say, Oh, you're a child of God, but you're not, so you've got to get out. And you're not, and you've got to get out. But you are, you can stay. <laughs> the problem with that way of thinking, I mean, certainly none of us, we'd all like to be a, away from those who aren't children of God, wouldn't we? The problem with that is, is that we're not qualified to do that. <laughs> we're not qualified to go out and say, you are a child of God and you're not a child of God and, and to try to root them out. Because what we would do is exactly what Jesus said we would do, which is we'd throw some wheat out with the tares. I'm going to tell you, if you were to look at my life, I'm, I, I tell you all the time, I confess to you, okay? <laughs> Here I am confessing again. If you were to take a snapshot of probably just about any day of my life. There will be a snapshot of time, sometimes more than a snapshot, if I'm, if I'm really successfully resisting the enemy, then maybe it's just a snapshot of time in my life. You might look at that snapshot and say, there's no way that man is a child of God <laughs> based on my reactions, based on what I'm doing, what I'm thinking. If you could see my thoughts, if you could see my thoughts, you wouldn't let me preach. <laughs> I just tell you, if you can see what's going through my mind from time to time, what's in my heart, you'd never let me back in the pulpit. But now the truth is, if I could see what's in your heart, I wouldn't let you in the door back there. That's kind of, we're all in that same boat, aren't we? You see, if you could look at that, see, you might go ahead and just consign me to the fires of hell because it looks to you like I'm not a child of God. But we're not qualified to do that, okay? Only Jesus is. And that's what he says here. He says, now, now, now let me say this. I'm not talking about not being separated from the world, okay? I'm not talking about we just go out and look like and act like the world. We should, we should live in a way that separates ourselves from the world. But even those who aren't living separated lives, we cannot consign to the fires of hell because we just don't know. They might just be a straying child of God. If you looked at Lot's life and didn't know what Peter said about him, you'd say he probably ended up in hell he probably busted hell wide open and yet he's a righteous man he's a child of God 
So look what Jesus, he said, nay, don't go out and gather them up. Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now we, we go on and he explains that later, of course, and I'm not going to take the time to go through it, but just understand that the wheat are the children of God and the tares are those who are not the children of God. And I want you to notice what happens here. The righteous are afflicted by the presence of the tares. The wheat is afflicted by the presence of the tares. The tares cause problems. The tares cause pain and suffering. There's tribulation because there are those in this world who are not children of God. The righteous are afflicted by the presence of the tares. And notice that the wicked are enduring here for a long time. There's, God is long-suffering. There are wicked men, there are wicked women that have lived long lives to great ages, to a great age, and caused much trouble for God's children. But that doesn't mean God is on their side. That doesn't mean he's not on your side. As a matter of fact, the reality is that the preservation of the wicked is due to God's favor on the righteous. Did you notice that? He said, here's why you can't go root out the tares and throw them away, because you might hurt the wheat. You might hurt. I'm more concerned with the wheat than I am the tares. And those tares are going to cause problems. Those tares are going to be a thorn in their side. The tares are going to cause troubles. But I'm more concerned about the wheat. And because I'm concerned about the wheat, I'm going to suffer the tares to hang around longer than you might think they ought to. But ultimately, I am on the side of the righteous. Elihu says, Job, God is on your side. God is on the side of those who are righteous. Okay? Now, going back to chapter 36 of Job, if you'll notice in verse 8, Elihu begins to talk about discipline here, chastening. And he, he again is, is getting a little bit off. He's correct in his thinking as far as what discipline's all about, what chastening is all about, but he's wrong about his assessment of Job. But listen to what he says. And if they be bound in fetters, speaking of the righteous... And beholden in cords of affliction, then he showeth them their work and their transgressions that they have exceeded. He openeth also their ear to discipline and commandeth that they return from iniquity. And if they obey him and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. But if they obey not, they shall perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. And here I believe he's kind of throwing shade at Job. He's saying, Job... You're, you're being chastened here, and you just need to accept that and learn from it. And there is a place for that. There's no doubt there's a place for that. The problem is this is not what's happening to Job. Now, in verse 13, down through about verse 16, he's starting a, sort of an, another angle here that he's talking about. Listen to what he says. But the hypocrites in heart heap up, heap up wrath. 
They cry not when he bindeth them. They die in youth, and their life is among the unclean. He delivereth the poor in his affliction, and openeth their ears in oppression. Even so would he have removed thee out of the straight into a broad place where there is no straightness. Straightness is there as narrowness. That's like, it's, it's, not, it's talking about not a, a, a place that's uh, not crooked, but a place that's narrow, like the straits of Gibraltar and places like that. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.